0: Hello, and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth, and a very warm welcome. Brian, our Bible teacher, continues our series of talks today called Jesus as Son over God's House. It's about the present and unique relationship the Lord Jesus Christ has with his disciples in the world today. So I hope you'll be able to join with us as we follow this study. There's a transcript booklet to go with this series, and if you have any comments or questions for Brian, I'll be giving you contact details for these as well. But now, here's Brian with today's talk about Jesus, as son over God's house, who's described as the exalted purifier of sins.
1: Thanks, John. The letter to the Hebrews describes Jesus in a unique way. In chapter 3 and verse 6, he's described as being the son over God's house. That's the title of the Lord Jesus that we're looking at in this set of programs. To begin with, last time, we refreshed our memory on the Bible-wide and important theme of the house of God and what that is. As the verse in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6 says, God's house in the church age is not all believers. That's a fact that's clear from the obviously exclusive condition in that verse, that verse which contains an if. And since we cannot lose salvation, being in God's house must be about something losable, which is beyond salvation. And where else can we draw the line other than at faithful obedience to the whole pattern of the apostles' teaching? In fact, the grand story of the Bible is the story showing how those serving, according to God's pattern of biblical teaching today, are precisely those who form God's house in this age. And so it's ever been, since the time of Acts chapter 2, in fact. And in this connection, we read that Jesus is said to be son over God's house. And we note that up until that point in the letter, he's been presented in many ways. But I just want to comment on five of them. Five things said about him which I judge to be of direct relevance to his role or function as the son over God's house. And as we reflect in turn on each of these five presentations of Christ in our present series, our aim will be to see him in this rounded way as the authoritative son over God's house. So then, the first of these presentations, which I want to look at, is found early on in the letter to the Hebrews, in the third verse of the very first chapter, in fact. It tells us that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's that last part. I'd like to make some comments about our Lord Jesus Christ as the exalted purifier of sins. Let's try to put it in some kind of context by sharing an illustration. What if you've bought something from a retail outlet chain of shops, and then you attempt to return the item due to some unsatisfactory feature which you've discovered in it, you're very aware that you're dealing with a multinational organisation which has perhaps many millions of customers. You realise that you're just a number to them, if even that. But when you approach the help desk at your local store, to your amazement, it turns out that it's none other than the CEO of this retail giant who presents himself to resolve your problem. I suggest you'd be blown away if that happened, overwhelmed by that level of attention to detail. And yet that's nothing to what we find here as we consider who it is who's made purification of our sins. Our sins have received the personal attention of the Son of God. Now, it's easy to think that sins are sins are sins. But just wait a moment. The Old Testament in Leviticus chapter 4, distinguished carefully between the sins of an individual and the sins of God's people. When you get a chance to look back at that chapter, you'll see there were quite different blood rituals in the two different cases. For an individual's sin, the blood only went as far as the outside copper altar, for that was the place of individual approach to God. They could proceed no further. But if the people had sinned, The blood of their sin offering was taken by the priest representing the people and applied to some of the furniture inside the sacred tent which served then as God's house on earth as God travelled with his people to the promised land. And while the leftover part of the individual's sin offering which wasn't offered on the altar could be eaten by the priest's The same could not happen if the sacrifice for sins had been the consequence of the whole congregation of God's people sinning. In that case, the animal leftovers were to be taken outside the camp of Israel and burnt. They were not to be eaten. Now, the point of that Old Testament detour is to allow us to correctly apply the teaching of Hebrews. As early as chapter 2, the sins mentioned there are described as the sins of the people. And there's a consistency maintained throughout, right until the last or 13th chapter. When Jesus' death is explained in terms of its results, the language of Hebrews picks up on the detail, the precise detail, of the book of Leviticus, but always relates to the procedures applicable for the sins of the people of God, as distinct from the sins of an individual. And so we read in chapter 9, for example, that Jesus' blood has cleansed the actual heavenly furniture that was copied in the earthly tabernacle. And in the last chapter, Jesus' death outside the city of Jerusalem is explained as corresponding to the sin offerings of the people of God long ago being burnt outside the camp of Israel. What's all this telling us? It's clarifying that this Bible letter, the letter to the Hebrews, is not about the wonderful teaching of how an individual can get right with God. If you want to know more about that terrific topic, you should go to Paul's letter to the Romans. By contrast, it's shown that Hebrews is a letter for the people of God. It deals with the collective service for God which is performed by an obedient people on earth. If we miss that, we miss something rather fundamental in this letter – something unfortunately which has often been missed by many worthy Bible commentators. And in the time of Leviticus, God was speaking out from his house on earth while he made such a procedural difference in the way in which sin was dealt with long ago. So in the Hebrews context, the sins mentioned are the sins committed by God's people in service for God as they operate as his earthly house. The letter to the Hebrews, we say again, is not teaching us about our salvation, but about our service for God as Christians in this world. We are forgiven, yes, but we're not perfect. The people of God, as viewed here, are a failing people. But the most wonderful thing of all is, when we are conscious of failing, we can look above and see him who has made purification for our sins. He's the man in the glory, seated at God's right hand. Satan may accuse, but who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? A failing folk, a people enfeebled through sin, can worship God spiritually in the highest place above now, but only because he lives, because Jesus lives. He lives to bring a worshipping people near to God the Father, who's long been seeking them as his worshippers. Yes, we've been reconciled by Christ's death, and that is so amazing, but we're also saved by his life as we draw near to God in service and in worship. That's the teaching of Romans 5 verse 10. We appear before God in his sanctuary to worship him, not through our own merits, but altogether in Christ's virtues. Back in the land of Egypt, before Abraham's race was made God's covenant people, There was talk of redemption. But after they're saved, baptised and obeying God as his people, it's then we begin to read of the various purifying or cleansing rituals they had to continually engage in while on active duty in and around the courts of God's house on earth. Sadly, they weren't always as diligent in these matters as they ought to have been. As recorded in the first book of Samuel, Eli was the other head of a priestly house who's recorded in the Bible as having sat down. And that was a disaster for the people of God then. Why was it a disaster? Let's read of what God said to Eli in First Samuel chapter 2, verse 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifice and at my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling and honour your sons above me by making yourselves fat with the choicest of every offering of my people Israel. Yes, it was a disaster because Eli sat down without having first made purification of sins, even the blatant sins of his own priestly family. Tragically, through Eli's laxity, an earlier version of God's house suffered. As God allowed the sacred Ark of the Covenant, that which symbolised the presence of God amongst his people then, God allowed it to be captured for a while by the enemy. And things were no better in Malachi's time, right at the end of the Old Testament record. And we're told there that God would have actually preferred the door of his house to be shut. Praise God! There's no such unfaithfulness now in the governance of God's house. The one who has sat down at God's right hand and in governance over God's house on earth is one whose sin-atoning death has cleansed the heavenly things themselves, among which we now enter as we serve in the holy place above.
0: Can I quote the words of that lovely hymn of Mrs. Bancroft's. Before the throne of God above I have a strong, a perfect plea, A great high priest, whose name is love, Whoever lives and pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair, And tells me of the guilt within, Upward I look, and see him there, Who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Saviour died, My sinful soul is counted free, For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased with his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Saviour and my God. Wonderful words, and I do hope that you have applied the purification of sin to yourself that the Lord Jesus obtained when he gave his life on the cross. If you have any comments or questions, Brian would be pleased to help. Or if you'd like to send for the transcript booklet, which goes with this series, just ask for the title, Jesus, a son over God's house. There are also back issues of booklets which you might like to download, and I'll tell you about those in a moment. But first, here's our postal and email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE56LN, United Kingdom. And now here's our email address sft at churchesofgod.info As I've said, you can download audio versions of some past programmes on your computer. Just go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk This is our church website where you can also access additional helpful material. And some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at Amazon, amazon.com dot co forward slash kindle ebooks and then type search for truth series into the search box and you'll find a growing list of transcript books from previous programs is available there so thanks for your company today i hope you'll join us next week until then it's very best wishes from bible teacher brian and from david and from our musicians and me john goodbye and may god richly bless you
2: we yeah.